Hello, I'm Simon Thompson, Chief Executive of the Chartered Banker Institute and author of Green and Sustainable Finance, Principles and Practice. Now, I spend a lot of my time speaking with policymakers, regulators, banking and finance professionals to, to try to understand how we can build the capacity, the capabilities, the culture required to align finance with the objectives of the Paris Agreement and broader sustainability goals, particularly the UN Sustainable Development Goals. So conversations about climate risk and climate finance, green finance, sustainable finance, ESG, nature-based risks, nature-based finance, and, and so on. Green conversations, if you like, are what I spend a lot of my time doing. And I've been lucky enough to meet many expert, interesting and inspiring individuals along the way. And so I decided to record and share some of these green conversations with a, a wider audience. And in particular, to try to move a conversation on from the, the big headline global and national commitments we hear, and we just heard at COP26, take that forward to what needs to be done by banking and finance professionals in the front line to put green sustainable finance principles into practice so that you can have green conversations with your customers, your clients, your colleagues, and hopefully your family and your friends too. So welcome to the next episode of Green Conversations and welcome to my guest today, Simon Connell. Hello, Simon. Hello there. Pleased to be with you. Thank you. So Simon is Global Head of Sustainability Strategy at Standard Chartered, leading the bank's external engagement and coordinating internal action on sustainability across the group with a specific focus on climate change and human rights, both areas I'm sure we will cover in our conversation over the next 20 minutes or so. But Simon, if I may, to, to begin with, we're recording this podcast a few weeks after COP26. There's been a great deal of commentary about what was and what wasn't achieved at the summit. And I, I guess whether you view it as overall as a successful step forward or not depends very much on the perspective of the observer. So, so from a banking perspective, uh, do you feel you know, we've made sufficient progress as a, as a sector? And what have we left on the to-do list for COP27 this time next year. Thank you. So I, I think there's been an enormous amount of analysis about COP26. And uh, in many cases, the summary is more than was expected, but less than was needed. And if I think about that from the perspective of the finance sector, clearly the, there was a failure to achieve the 100 billion for, for uh, emerging market and developing country climate finance, which is a real shame. On the other hand, there was a lot of coverage of Mark Carney's Glasgow Financial Alliance for Net Zero or GFAN's 130 trillion of capital across the financial sector that is committed to aligning with net zero. And so to me, there is a pivot point between those, which is suggesting that some of the balance of power is shifting from the official sector uh, and public climate finance flows towards private climate finance flows. We need both. We don't have enough of either. Um, in that context, things like the Article 6 negotiations on carbon markets are very helpful. But I think there does, as you say, remain a significant amount of work to be done before COP27 in Sharm el-Sheikh, both from a perspective of the UNFCCC climate framework and then how that is taken into the private sector. And in particular, with large numbers of financial institutions committing to net zero, I chair the Net Zero Banking Alliance, which as of today has 95 member banks and just under half of global banking sector assets. We've made the commitments, we have the principles, but now we need to collectively and individually execute on those to show that we're making progress and to maintain the credibility that we've sought. And picking up on both that point around the balance now shifting from you know, public finance to private sector uh, finance, um, and also you know, the 
organizational commitments. What then does this mean in practical terms, though, for the you know, beyond an organizational commitment? What does it mean for individual bankers, whether that's the frontline relationship managers or supporting professionals in, in risk or, or elsewhere? You know, how have the conversations that they need to be having with customers and clients to support businesses and communities to more sustainable business models move, moved on as a, as a result of not just COP26, but as a result of you know, how we're seeing the world move now? So pleasingly, I think we're seeing both a broadening and a deepening. If I think about the broadening, we've moved in recent years through climate risk as a concept and into the concept of climate alignment or climate impact, which is how you get to things like net zero, financial institutions committing to things beyond just internalizing some of the costs of climate and thinking about how do they do the right thing for, for the societies they serve. But even beyond that, we're starting to see a growing conversation around things like the just transition. So the social side of the transition, just today, Clifford Chance has launched a new report called Just Transactions, which is looking at how the banking sector might take on the concept of just transition and internalize it. And in terms of the, the deepening there, clearly, as you alluded to, a bank is is moved forward by the thousands of transactions that it performs, the millions in some cases, depending on, on the nature of the, the type of business you're doing, for its clients every day. And so that requires, as you think about concepts like net zero, that your client-facing relationship managers and the credit risk officers and others that support them to originate that business are confident in these concepts. They know at a high level what the organization is committed to, but they also know what is required of them. And I, I think we are individually and collectively making substantial progress. We, we have a sustainable finance champions network internally, for example, which not only allows those who are at the pointy end of things to, to build their capacity, but also allows others who might be considering this as part of their career progression uh, to come in and to benefit from, from that knowledge. One of the innovations when we released our own net zero roadmap in October of this year, 2021, was that we created a new transition acceleration team of bankers. So thinking about how do you help support those clients in the high carbon sectors where we're setting the net zero targets and the emissions reductions to think about the technologies um, and, and the changes to the business model that are needed to enable both us to achieve those targets, but in doing, um, and as others do the same, to achieve those net zero objectives we have for the economies in which we operate. So a lot to do. And I think there is, we must underestimate the scale of the challenge here, quite simply to equip those bankers and risk officers with the specialist knowledge, but also just as importantly, with the confidence to have those conversations in order to be able to go out and educate clients or where clients are already at an advanced stage of their own journey in order to be able to understand that and best serve them. And I wonder whether you know, having that confidence to have those those conversations, it's it's not just all of, and you alluded to this when you mentioned the, the concept of just transition, um, you know, climate by itself is complex enough. But when we start thinking about the broader just transition and sort of wider aspects of uh, sustainability beyond climate and environmental sustainability, I know, you know, human rights, for instance, is an area you have a strong personal and professional interest in. And for a bank like Standard Chartered, you know, operating in, in many countries and supporting clients with long, com complex supply chains, you know, there are a whole range of environmental and social and governance issues that, that all combine, all highly interlinked. Um, you know, climate action is, of course, only one of the 17 sort of SDGs. I'm just wondering, kind of, you know, when you look across 
you know, the, the Asian and African markets. Are you seeing real differences in the focus on different SDGs and how these are being addressed in different countries? And then in turn, what does, what does this mean for a, a global bank that wants to act locally as well, but still then needs to be reporting globally at how, how, how Standard Charters is aligning with Paris, aligning with the, the SDGs and so on? Sure, no, that's a great question. So one of the things that we've done this year is we've created what we call three stands, things we're taking a stand on as an organization which are linked to sustainable development. So the first is resetting, oh, sorry, the first is accelerating zero. Um, so thinking about how we support the transition of economies to net zero. We also, though, have identified resetting globalization. So as a trade and commerce focused bank in 59 markets across Asia, Africa and the Middle East, and lifting participation, so supporting individuals in those markets to fully participate in economies uh, as a result of that. And, and to me, the interest is not so much in those as individual stands, it's where they come together. I think, as you say, each has different resonance in different markets and different contexts, but they're part of a whole. And this is where uh, often we hear a lot of conversation that says, uh, you know, you, you can't achieve any of the other SDGs if you don't solve for climate, but I think that is true whichever SDG you start from. And, and Just Transition is a really interesting one to me because particularly many of our African markets, when, when we think and we engage with stakeholders and we survey them on their, their preferences across the SDGs and their prioritization, there's a lot of focus on decent work. But actually, that, that is just transition um, when you look at it through a climate lens is, is how do you ensure continued decent work for populations as the nature of economies changes through the, the decarbonization of those economies. And so I think it, the perspectives will always be different, but it's about trying in order to give people that confidence to be able to have those conversations, to establish some focus and priority areas, to use those as drivers of innovation as much as anything else. How do we serve our customers in, in new ways? How do we look through their eyes at, at their needs and, and create products to support that? And then as part of both of those, to your point, how do you institutionalize the, this? People need to have the confidence to go out to have conversations, um, but also ultimately, and in particularly in a regulated sector, there is a need for policies and processes. Um, and one of the things that I've observed, which we might get onto a little bit more, is with the very rapid growth in individuals working in the environmental, social and governance or ESG space is almost this creation of light green and dark green roles. You might have deep specialists who have you know, maybe a decade or more's experience in this space who are the deep greens, but you also have a wide range and a growing number of people who have ESG or climate or sustainability in their role titles or in the description of the activities that they might undertake within the organization, but where they're coming in from quite different contexts and backgrounds. And so it's it's a need to understand again what's what's the knowledge you need to upskill them with, but also again that they're they're not they're unless we wait ten years they're not going to be specialists with ten years worth of experience. So part of it, to my mind about those frameworks and policies we talked about is that helps guide decisions, but the confidence also means that people know who to turn to when the policies and the processes only tell them so much and they they need more support. They get into those situations where there's ambiguity and they want to turn to someone to help them solve for that ambiguity. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the, the, the light green and the dark green roles, because it was something I wanted to sort of prompt you on if you, if you hadn't, hadn't brought it up. Because um, I think that's a great way to, 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 to look at this. Because um, clearly we, you know, banking wouldn't succeed as banking if, uh, if banks were only staffed by sustainability specialists. You know, we need bankers to do 
banking jobs, we need accountants to be accountants, and we need investment managers to be investment managers, but informed by um, uh, uh, or informed with a, a, a knowledge of sustainability, you know, and all aspects of that, and helped and supported by the specialists when they need to turn to specialists, because this can get very complicated quite quickly. But where, where does that sort of balance sit, though? Because if you're in a, if you're, if you're, if you're out as a relationship manager, speaking with a, a company, you know, you need to be there as the kind of confident expert. You can't always be sort of saying, well, um, that's a great question. I'll get back to you when I've spoken back to head office. I mean, you know, we, we tried this sort of modeling banking in different contexts sort of 10, 15 years ago, and it's when that went down, went down really badly. So I mean, what are kind of some of the basics that you think kind of all sort of frontline bankers really need to know to kind of grasp sustainability and what it means? So I think, as, as you've just alluded to, to my mind, it's it's a differentiated proposition. It's thinking, uh, and I often tend to refer to it as learning archetypes. So what are the skills and knowledge that people need based on where they work? Um, we have a range of training across the organization. We have some which is focused on all colleagues and trying to give them a grounding in what is sustainable development. Uh, and, and therefore, what is sustainability as a concept? How do you think about that in context of you know, the, the, the term ESG, which is continuing to grow in usage? And, and how does it matter to, to societies and to us as an organization? But then from there, you step down to more and more specialist training, the training for the frontline bankers on sustainable finance products and services, for example. And again, keying into that, you know, you, you can only really think about that and the types of products and services we offer if you've got that grounding in what is sustainable development, what are we solving for with these products? Because otherwise, I think you, you start to get some real challenges around, um, should we say, being mis misdirected. Um, you might not know what you're solving for, and I think that that can cause product innovation to go off, off the rails. But then also, with the growing focus on climate risk, there are dedicated trainings on, on climate risk. And as we go up the organization in terms of seniority, a lot of this becomes higher touch. So it, it moves from being potentially online training, uh, or at least on demand online training to real time. Of course, in the pandemic environment, we're, we're still delivering it virtually, um, which is quite handy given the number of markets we operate across, but trying to make sure that everybody has that modular set of skills, depending on the role, um, both now and, and as I said, also depending on where they want to take their career it's it's really interesting particularly if we look across the organization and we're surveying our staff a large number of people want to feel connected to this work but also a substantial majority of them a substantial minority of them want this to focus in in their career plans and so how do you help equip people with the skills and the knowledge both to navigate those light green dark green roles to understand where they want to play in the ESG space in financial services, and also to start equipping them with the skills prior to them finding a role and, and being able to move into that role. It is. I mean, we, we you know we hear from our members and students right across the banking sector, and it comes to no surprise that sustainability, climate risk, and so on. These are the hot tickets where everybody kind of wants to work, and um, you know. The question is, you know, how, how can I get into sustainability? And I think it very often is, well, it's not about how can I move into my bank sustainability team? It's it's more how can I um, add sustainability to my skill set as as a banker or in whatever role I have you know, as an HR professional, as a marketing professional um, in a bank, for instance. Then you know you can still deploy sustainability there. I think. Um, I mean, I'm I think sure that's you... an excellent point. Not least because in in, in my experience, 
you know, I, I mentioned a little earlier people being purpose led in this, but I, I also think there is sometimes an expectation or a misconception that, that you move into a sustainability role and, and, and it's all milk and honey, um, that, that, that these roles are enormously self-fulfilling. They can be, uh, and, and some people draw a lot from that, but I think we often need to remind ourselves that even in a deep green role, you're there to operate within your organization, its context, its strategy, and to help it solve some of these problems. You, you spoke earlier a little bit to the fact that I've got experience in both climate and human rights. And I find both of those fascinating coming from a background in politics and economics, because they're both collective action dilemmas. And part of the role is to help navigate the organization's response to those collective action dilemmas. But particularly on the light green side of things, this is often people doing 90% of the work they might do, even with a different job title, and then 10% of it having regard to sustainable finance regulation or a change-related program or a way of managing a risk. And I think sometimes people can view the change as being almost, as you said, more, more meaningful, more, more substantive than it is. Um, and that can, be, that can be a constraint, as it were, because sometimes people think, well, you know, what I need to get to is very different to where I am today. And, and I think that probably it's very helpful to think, well, actually, you may have a great many of these skills already. But I think it's also just worth thinking about, actually, where does that fulfillment, where does that purpose come from? Um, and, and just trying to be realistic. This, you know, So I've often said to people joining my team, there's still going to be plenty of writing committee papers. There's still going to be plenty of filling in spreadsheets. You know, These, the, these things are just how life works in large organizations, um, whether you're working in ESG or you're working in something like uh, benchmark rate reform. And so finally, what's the most important piece of advice you'd give to individuals working in banking who want to do more both personally and professionally to support the transition to a more sustainable world in, in all aspects of that phrase, sustainable? So I think there's a great many decisions that we can make on a daily basis as, as consumers in society on sustainability. But the one that always surprises me is so many working in financial services and seeking careers connected to ESG are not necessarily thinking about their role as significant consumers of financial products themselves, whether that's through your pension, through your investments, through your insurance, through the banking services. And so I just encourage people to think that you too have a voice, not just working within financial services, but as a consumer of financial services. Think carefully about how you manage your money and think carefully about how you can engage the financial institutions that you do business with and who serve you on ESG. Because there are so many stakeholders that I have the opportunity to engage with on a day-to-day -day basis as part of my role, but it continues to surprise me what a small portion institute, uh, individuals sorry, uh, represent in that. And I'd love to hear more there I, because say, we're all say, both providers of and consumers of, and, and therefore in many cases across financial services, we can bring an even richer perspective than many might have the opportunity to when thinking about ESG products. Yeah, well, that's I think that's a, that's a fantastic point, actually, and and perhaps a great uh, uh, a great way to kind of end our end our end our, end our conversation. And thanks for you know we've covered a, a huge amount in what's that kind of fifteen or, or twenty minutes, and uh, you know you very much had hope taken us you know beyond those sort of headlines we started with to to actually what individual banking and finance professionals can can do in the workplace, um, you know, involving writing committee papers, but we won't we won't hold you to that. Um, uh, but we do, I think, you know, 
need to have these kind of meaningful green conversations within organizations and what really came across is just how much within standard chartered you know you and your colleagues are, are clearly doing that whether that's sort of formally through the the training you you put in place through through the um you know the way you have some of the i think you, you mentioned transition acceleration professionals and, and things there um and having these conversations with customers clients and and, and colleagues internally and externally because if we're, we're going to get to where we want to with banking and finance, and that's to, to have us play the leading role we must in a successful transition to a more sustainable world, then I think it requires, in Mark Carney's words, that every professional financial decision takes climate change into account. But what we've been talking about is that you know it's not just climate change, but finance needs to encompass all aspects of sustainability you know, within it too. And then we can pass you know the Carney test, I think. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I hope our listeners have enjoyed it too. If you have, please share your love and feedback with us and via social media. We'd like as many as possible to join in these green conversations and encourage you to start your own with your customers, your colleagues, and in your communities. So thank you very much.